the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. Then there are three that are preaching the gospel. They are checking the right boxes seemingly, but they get a death sentence along with the other two that are dead. Five of seven churches get a death sentence. They are found wanting. They are offered possible reprieves if they return to God, if they repent and return to and respond to God. And that's a shocking thing when you think about it. And we'll see more of that. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible with you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today in the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues with the Future Grace series, an in-depth study of the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles... Please turn with us today to Revelation chapter 2. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. Father, we thank you that we could gather this morning bright and early to study your word, to look into the book of Revelation, to continue our series, and to uh, apply what we learn, Father. It's not just about all the uh, exciting end-time stuff, Lord, uh, it's about what was written in chapters and verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed is the one who reads this book aloud and blessed is the one who hears what is written in it and keeps it for the time is near. Lord, help us, therefore, to live with urgency, to live, to learn, to apply what we read for the glory of God, for the good of others, and our own growth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we continue in our series. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, perhaps today, we're in a series called Future Grace, the Apocalypse of John, and we are in a series on the book of Revelation. It comes on the heels of another series called Church Matters, hanging in when times get tough, which is, was a study of First and Second Timothy, and in a way, the study of Revelation lands that plane, because how the church conducts herself is important to God. Church matters matter to God, and so they should matter to us. And so over the last two weeks, Chris and I have kind of set up the uh, larger study, and last week he gave you a glimpse of the glorified Christ. 
which is a Christ that our culture too much forgets sometimes, uh, a Christ whose appearance was terrifying to John, his beloved apostle. And he, it's a Christ that we need to remember that is not just our Savior, but is our God and will be the judge of those at the end of the age, the quick and the dead and the sons of men, it says in God's word. So we are entering into a, a mini-series within this series, uh, and that is uh, called Listening to the One We Love, and this is part one today, and what we're looking at is Revelation chapters two and three over the next three weeks. And one of the things that you see here is that Christ has very specific ideas about how the church should conduct herself. What we find here is uh, a letter written to seven churches, seven real churches in Asia. And today's message really is all about a tale of seven churches in that uh, we get to look at sort of a spiritual report card that he assesses. Uh, Some people uh, call it a a performance evaluation. Those of us who work in the business world before coming into ministry are familiar with those. Uh, I thought about what to title it, and I think listening to the one we say we love is important because that's one of the themes of the book of Revelation. You know, Jesus says, are you listening? Blessed is the one who hears. Hear what the Spirit says. Now, you could call it, what would Jesus say about your church? There's a great book on that that's just on these two chapters by a a good scholar named uh, Richard Mayhew. But the point is, is that Christ has something very specific to say about the church, about his expectations for his church, the bride that his father has given him. And so I want to really focus this on the listening themes, because these days we tend to think less and less about what Jesus wants and more and more about what we want. Uh, we, we want to have it our way. You may remember that great uh, fast food jingle years ago, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Have it your way. Have it your way at Burger King. And no, I have no, own no stock in Burger King or anything like that. But rather than having it G- Jesus' way, often churches become a shadow of their former selves. Uh, they become uh, uh, sanctified social clubs. Uh, they become... They, they, they begin to exist for some other reason than his reason. And in this letter to these seven churches, uh, we find uh, five of seven churches either having drifted or drifted. And we find them not revering Christ as they should have, not as it were listening. You know, when he said at the transfiguration, when the father said of the son, when, the, when Peter and wanted to build these three tents, like we read about in the scripture reading a moment ago, he was going to kind of set up his own little deal, well intended, but not according to God's design or specifications. You have this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter had great ideas. He was sincere, but he wasn't paying attention and he was talking rather than listening. And really, that's kind of what's going on here in chapters 2 and 3. God is talking to us, and the question is, are we listening? Because when you look at these seven churches over the next few weeks, understand that there is one or or two that are just dead, you know, just dead. Then there are three that are preaching the gospel. They are checking the right boxes, seemingly. 
but they get a death sentence along with the other two that are dead. Five of seven churches get a death sentence. They are found wanting. They are offered possible reprieves if they return to God, if they repent and return to and respond to God. And that's a shocking thing when you think about it. And we'll see more of that. But the reality is, particularly in our day, just like back then, churches need to listen to the one they say they love, to listen well, and to listen good. And this is what we need to do as individual Christians and as a Christian church. So with no further ado or setup, let's get into the text. I want to set the context by going back to Revelation chapter 1, 1 through 3, verses 10 and 11 as well. And then we'll get into today the first of the seven churches, Ephesus, in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. So let's look at Revelation 1, 1 through 3, and verses 10 and 11. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to a servant, John, who bore witness to the word of the Lord and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear, who, and here it has to do with listening and obeying, and keep what is written in it for because the time is near. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day when I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. On to chapter 2. To the angel, as Chris indicated last week, that is the pastor or the lead elder of the church at Ephesus write, the words who holds the word of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now we learned last week the golden lampstands are the churches, the seven churches. Listen to what he says. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Sounds pretty good. Verse 4, but, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you have this. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased, and we and they should listen to him. So what you're going to see here as we work through these two chapters is sort of a Jesus is going to take a template, uh, sort of a performance evaluation 
Uh, he's going to conduct, you might say, a building inspection of the, of the foundation and support of the truth, the church of the living God. And in each case, there's going to be five elements to what he has to do with them. He's going to give them, he's going to call to them, he's going to address them, he's going to give them a commendation, he's going to praise them for what they're doing right, and then he's going to cite them. He's going to, there's going to be a violation and he's going to ticket them. When I was in the resort business and the restaurants, you, the health inspectors came in and they inspected everything. They commended what you did. They acknowledged the good things and then they cited you. And then with each citation, four came consequences. Correct the citation or I'm going to shut your restaurant down. I'm going to remove your lampstand, as, you know, like he says to Ephesus. Or if you were building a building, if we were building a hotel, they'd just stop the whole construction project right there. They, were, they would come in, they would address us, they would commend the good things, and they would cite us for what was not right, for what was below standard, for what was unacceptable. And, and then they would explain to us the consequences. <laughs> Fix this or else. All these other things are great, but this is a life safety issue. Fix it. And then the good ones encouraged us look you know we've we've dealt with you before we know that you guys are trying to hard you know this is what's going on here in this passage you've got this spiritual performance evaluation this spiritual building inspection this spiritual performance evaluation of this church in Ephesus and there is a divine standard which must be met God does not grade on the curve there is no academic or spiritual inflation in God's school and so we have these ways, uh, the way he addresses them. I want you to watch also as we move through these two chapters, and this is all set up here, is you can tell, you might kind of say, what kind of mood he's in when he addresses them because there is a spiritual mode of address, and I get listed several in the slides, but I'm just going to just talk about a couple. He might say to them, I am the Alpha and the Omega, I am him who was and is to come. I am the eternal God. I am him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Or he might talk about himself as the one whose mouth is like a two-edged sword. This speaks to the, the nature of their condition, the gravity of their situation, and how he's approaching them as a judge or as a shepherd, as their God. Sometimes he is more gentle and reassuring than others, depending on the condition of the church. Sometimes not so much. And this is uh, what you want to watch for because this is a tell. It will tell you what's coming. I also want to talk to you about the motive of what he's doing here because he says some pretty, pretty tough things to these churches. And people often love to say, well, where's the grace? Oh boy, that's harsh. You know, uh, but... He has a motive in mind, and you see it in Revelation 3.19 when he addresses the lukewarm church that nauseates him, that he wants to spit out of his mouth. In Revelation 3.19, we see his motive, his rationale for all that he's doing. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. His motive is love. He cares for them. He cares for all of his people, all those who are born again. He loves all those churches that he walks among. You know, the, he walks among the seven lampstands. Emmanuel, God with us. He holds those leaders in his hand as the sovereign of the universe. He is intimately 
involved in the affairs of local churches worldwide and in these seven churches. And many people fail to understand that. They, they misunderstand, and so many churches fail to listen. So what I'm going to do during this mini-series is group these churches by spiritual condition. So I'm not going to follow the text exactly sequentially, so just work with me on this. But we're going to start with the church at Ephesus. We're going to look at the call in verse 1, the commendations in verses 2, 3, and 6, the citation in verse 4, the consequences in verse 5, and the encouragements in verse 6 and verse 7. So we start with the call, and that is in verse 1, to the angel, to the pastor, to the leader of the church in Ephesus, write the words of him who holds the seven stars, that's all the lead pastors in those churches, in his right hand, it's a symbol of his authority and his care and his power and his sovereignty and his provision, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. You're going to see the news is not all bad, as indicated by his mode of address here. He speaks as one who not only holds their destiny, their survival, their future in his hands, but he speaks to them as one who is well acquainted with them. This is Emmanuel, God with us, who walks among his people, who walks among the churches. He speaks to them as one who cares, who oversees those who shepherd the flock of God among them. Now some people wonder why he starts with Ephesus and we can get into more of some of the technical details of this, this, uh, th- these passages a little bit later but Ephesus was, you might say, the mother church of these churches in Asia. The indications are Ephesus might have been the source of the planters who went out and started these churches. Uh, it's also the first church on a Roman postal route We'll talk about that later. But the bottom line here is this is the most prominent of those seven churches. And he is going to make them an example for all to consider because this is the church among churches, so to speak. And when you look at the history of Ephesus, it was taught by the dream team. Ephesus was pastored by the dream team. Who pastored Ephesus? Who poured into Ephesus? The Apostle Paul, Timothy, Right? Apollos, who, you know, that's the Alexandrian Jew who knew the scriptures in the book of Acts. And John, the disciple that Jesus loved, John himself, who writes to them now. They had every advantage. They were a prominent Roman city in Asia Minor, what is now Turkey. They were the church. And so he's going to start with them. To to whom much is given, much is expected. So he addresses them somewhat reassuringly. Then what? Now we come to the commendation. Look what he says to them. Listen to this. Listen along with them. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, speaking to their persecution, and how you cannot bear those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Here's a picture of a God who knows and loves his people. Here's a picture of a Savior who cares, who empathizes, who sympathizes. As one who has walked among them during his earthly public ministry, God walking among men, Emmanuel, God with us, who is tempted in every way such as we are, as it tells us in the book of Hebrews. This is the God who is with them always, even at the end of the age, the ultimate Savior, 
And he is their great high priest. He is the intercessor between God and men, and he cares about them. And notice that he acknowledges their faithfulness in enduring persecution. He acknowledges, I would say commends, their love of truth. They don't like those who are evil. They don't like false prophets, false teachers. They don't have any time for false apostles. He appreciates their moral purity because they hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and we'll get into them later on. There's much to commend, and he commends them. He acknowledges and affirms, generally speaking, that they hate what he hates. And that's all good. Here you have an established church, roughly 40 years old, a prominent church that seems to have checked all the right boxes. They have good doctrine, they have good morals, they have good teaching, they show discernment. Can you expect much more than that? He lovingly acknowledges that as the one who walks among them, who walks over them, who cares for them, who watches over their leaders. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I hate often, also. He opens their evaluation with a reassuring posture and words of commendation for all that they do right. And then he fails them. Then he gives them a failing grade. The sovereign, holy, loving, righteous building inspector cites them with a violation that would appear to be fatal. They get a red tag, you might say. And that's number three, the citation. Here's what he cites them for. Look at verse four. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Something is fundamentally wrong here foundationally wrong what's going on here what we see here is an ailment common among established churches then and even today prominent churches famous churches they begin resting on their laurels they back off they lose steam they lose focus but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first Now, a lot of ink has been spilled on what their first love was. Was it a love for God? Was it a love for each other? Was it a love for the lost? Probably all three. How can we know? We can't be sure exactly what it was, but we know that it was noticeable to him, and it affected the way that they did church, the the, the way that they lived in the community in which they were. How do we know that? Well, because of the context. Look at verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and here is the icing on the cake here, this moment of clarity, do the works you did at first. It wasn't just their attitude, it was their actions. You know, we've talked about this before. Right thinking leads to right attitudes, actions, words, and deeds for individual Christians and for individual Christian churches. So God is saying, go back to where you were when this church was born and do what you did when you first started out, when you were nothing. So many Christians and churches can learn from this because a lot of time the flame that is lit, ignited in our souls by the Spirit of God, in the people of God, sometimes like when you adjust the gas burner on your stove, it kind of goes from bright to blue and sometimes we go too far in the wrong direction and our love grows cold. And, and so he's saying to them, you haven't finished the race. And that, you, you've got more to do. And, and you stopped doing the very thing that, you, that made you what you were in the first place. 
Some people call Ephesus the church of the lost love. And I think that's true because love manifests itself in righteous words, actions, and deeds. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.